Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel, and in this episode, we got a bunch of Collins again. Sorry, guys, it took me a minute to send this out. I was going to um, do a interview or uh, sit down with my friend Nikki about the dwarves that we're going to have in the world, but uh, we've just been so crazy we haven't had a chance to do it. So um, I'm just going to put this out now so that uh, these Collins aren't waiting forever. Uh, we've got Collins from BJ, uh, from the Arcane Alienist from Evil Jeff, from Minions and Musings, and from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And at the very end, uh, there's an unboxing, because it's that time of year again, which is basically the whole year where I buy stuff and get unboxings. So <laughs> stay tuned to the end if you want to hear that. Otherwise, uh, we'll do the uh, call-ins first. And uh, without further ado, let's do it. Hey, Daniel. It's BJ. Um, I was going to comment on the the... The, the rule they've implemented with Tasha's cauldron on on picking your just assigning your stats however you want. Um, I think that was a good idea, and I, I I can't figure out why so many people couldn't grasp the concept of what that does. Is it 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 incentive, it takes away that incentive to to min max pairing a race with a a, a class so that you get a, a broader diversity of com- combinations. Like you said, like now, now nobody's going to hesitate to play a dwarf rogue or a or a half elf fighter or, or or an elven sorcerer or something like that because you don't have to worry about the synergy of the stats. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good move on the part of of five E design, and I don't understand why so many people can't wrap their head around the what that means or the implications of that. And it, people were doing that as a house rule for quite a while before wizards. Of the coast picked it up and put it into Tasha's um, because of that very reason. And they were just saying, you know what, For, forget this. Let's just, you know, you can leave the species or the races that they are other than their ability to score bonuses. Let's just change that to, uh, you know, take two in one stat and one in another and, and do, do what you want. And I think that was very freeing. So I'm glad they did that. And certainly that's how I'm going to do things moving forward with. Uh, you the next time I start a 5e campaign. I add that to my list of, of house rules that I've been working on. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that, that people have been doing it, right? I, I was, um, a while back, I was thinking about doing another short 5e campaign, and uh, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to have everybody use the human rules, but I wasn't going to use feats. So basically, everybody just gets plus one in every ability score. So 46, uh, drop the lowest, ranges you want, plus one in all ability scores. And I think that was give you nice high ability scores like you need in 5e, but lets people play whatever, uh, you know, species race they want. And I got to say, thanks for um, your very fair assessment of uh, how important stats are in 5th edition and why you can't just say roll 3d6 down the line because the game assumes a, a, a very different use of stats than old school D&D. And, and, and I've seen people actually come in not not in third edition i think it was just in third third edition i remember a player distinctly insisting well we always roll 3d6 down the line so that's what i'm going to do and then his character was completely incompetent because he didn't understand that the, the math and the probabilities had changed and the scale had changed and and it was just superficially similar to to the way it was done in, in basic D and first edition D and things like that so um <laughs> yeah, you got to pay attention to those rules changes if you're going to switch editions. 
Yeah, one thing I think it's really hard to do for people, myself included, is to look at a game for what that game is and not what we think maybe it should be or our past experiences with other forms of that game. You know, it's like people who pick up a brand new game and start adding uh, house rules before they've even run it once. I always find that to be just a strange <laughs> way to operate. I, I, I look at what's there. I see how it's supposed to be run, how the designer thinks that it should be run. And then if I've run it that way a few times and I feel like, you know, I don't really like that, I like a different way, then I'll change it. But I think you need to try to understand why you're making the change before you just make a change. Daniel, Seville Jeff. So I'm pulling a you and stopping partway through Choose Your Species podcast to call in. <laughs> um, no, uh, just uh, it reminded me of your talk there. The class builder product for BX that Welsh Piper put out. Uh, I understand he is working on something that would allow you to kind of grab all of those pieces from the different races, elves and dwarves and things like that, lizard folk, etc. And then you could combine that into a new race, species, whatever you want to call it. So I understand there's some work going on with that. So maybe that's what you want to look for. You could probably also do it a little bit with the class builder as it is. So check it out. Later. Oh, that sounds super interesting. And I, I suppose you could actually build uh, like your own uh, species out of that, right? Like half lizard, half bling. No, I don't know. But yeah, that sounds really cool. Thanks. I'll check it out. Hey, Daniel. Um, listening to now gotten through the entire episode and uh yeah the idea of nomadic halflings that was actually that they tried in um third edition D to make the default lore and canon for halflings to try to make them less hobbit like that's actually what they were they took away their hairy feet and they made them kind of skinny well not skinny but more athletic instead of kind of chunky <laughs> and the idea was was that they were more nomadic um people and not because it's always a big deal is, is like you know well halflings are basically hobbits they love being at home they love the comforts of home they love the creature coverage well then why are there so many halfling adventurers and the only setting that i've ever seen really try to explain that was mistara where they said that you know they get at late adolescence they develop this wanderlust and they go out looking for adventures so they have tales to tell around the hearth when they get older and decide to retire and with regards to why halflings and dwarves some magic works and some doesn't. I've just discovered that um, the internal logic of if when you take all the D and D tropes about races and what they can and can't do and which classes they can and can't be, and the the way alignments work for some classes but not for others, uh, you know, when you take the D and D tropes as a whole, it's like a J.J. Abrams movie. It's a lot of fun as long as you don't try to pay attention to any kind of internal logic. If you do that, you're gonna, it's going to ruin it because there's no consistency. But if you just ignore that, it can be a lot of fun. Oh, that's so interesting. So I'll have to go back and look at the third edition. Yeah, I guess my just my thought was, and that's probably what they were thinking too, was what's the furthest thing from what we think of halflings, right? Uh, let's make them wanderers instead of, uh, you know, always wanting to be at home. And uh, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I've... It's always fun to ponder these different things, but you def definitely don't want to look too close at the uh, the threads that hold a lot of the D and D rules together. If we if we try to make them uh, make sense, or for things to be too realistic, 
uh, they <laughs> can become very, uh, yeah, a lot is revealed that we don't want. So, yeah, let's just play and enjoy, I guess, is the right way to do it. Daniel, it's Evil Jeff again. <laughs> so I'm still in Choose Your Species podcast. Got to the point where you're talking with Jason and you hit upon an interesting idea, which I think you should implement. If somebody wants to go past the level caps of the elves, of the dwarves and things like that, once they reach that point, they start losing what makes them special. They start losing improvision. They start losing those extra bonuses and everything. You know, I think that we fear we're saying that they're losing their dwarfness, their elvishness, elvish, whatever. You know, they spent so long away that they become more human, and they're losing what's made them different. Good thought there. Appreciate the podcast. Keep it going. Huh, thanks. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The more right when you think about it, it's like. If you are, if you're from a certain area, let's say you're from a small town, you know, this is a classic cliche, right? And then you go away to the big city or something for 10 years and you come back, you know, you're, you're different, right? And, and in association to what the, the, the area you came from, you're not one of them anymore on some level, right? You've changed, uh, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, right? So uh, having it be mechanically interesting for, right? I mean, it's like you haven't been living underground as a dwarf for, the last many years or so much time. So maybe you are losing your ability to, to see in the dark and, and so on. Yeah, I, it's very, very interesting. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Yeah, you mentioned Carcosa by, is it Joffrey McKinney? I probably pronounced his name wrong, but I remember when that first came out, the original one, and, and I bought it. That was back before, I don't even know if Google Plus was up. Maybe Google Plus was around then. Maybe that's where I saw it. Although, honestly, I think I saw it on Dragon's Foot or OD&D 74, you know, one of the old forums. But, yeah, that's a great book. I, I remember the controversy when that came out because, you, you know, you had all the different color Martians or all the different color Carcosans, I guess. And they had the humans or they had the sac well, human sacrifice, I guess. So you had, you, you know, that element of it. And, and that turned a lot of people off. And there was a big backlash. Maybe not a big backlash, but there was some backlash against the product for that reason. But yeah, I, I've still got my copy of that original one. Really like it. As far as this idea of demi humans and doing the make them unique, I definitely think it depends on your world. But I, I your caller, and I apologize, I don't remember who called in and said this, but I, I do think there's value to defining the species available for play prior to the game starting. And maybe that's where like session zero comes in. And if a player comes and says, Hey, is this in your world? Can I play one? That's okay. But for the most part, that's where you as a DM come out and say, listen, in my world, you can play a, B and C, you, you know, these are the normal, you know, species available. The Tasha's cauldron thing, honestly, personally, Jason likes having species or races and in, in old talk, ha having them having defined parameters. So your elf is always going to get your, what is it, plus one to charisma, plus one to dex, and minus one to strength or con, whatever it was. I am 100% with you. Halflings, hobbits should have a lower max strength. And same thing, you look at other games, like Tunnels and Trolls. You know, if you play a leprechaun or a fairy in Tunnels and Trolls, you know, your strength is, you know, it's like divided by two or four or something like that. You, you know, you, 
your strengths like nothing because you're a tiny little person. And, and that's okay. It's just what it is. I, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. I really don't. And, and these idea of these halflings that are super strong is silly. I'm not one to bring reality into my RPGs, but I, I definitely like the idea of having the different species have different things. And that's not unrealistic. If you have a, you, you know, a cat, house cat, and you have a, you, you know, whatever, a, a big dog, you know, they're not going to have the same amount of pulling power, right? Well, that last message ended on a broken and stupid note. If you have a St. Bernard and you have a house cat, the St. Bernard's going to be able to, you, you know, pull a heavier sled than the house cat is. I'm sorry. It's just what it is. So, you know, I don't see anything different between elves and dwarves and halflings and all that. As far as a world without halflings, man, Daniel, that would be like Grantha without ducks. Yeah, I, you know, I found, um, got through some online source, the a PDF of the, maybe it was Lulu, a PDF of the uh, original Carcos. I did not have the, uh, the print book, unfortunately, uh, but I have the one from the, you know, that was printed for Lamentations of the Flame Princess. It's very, very interesting. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think that, I would not want to play a character or any player characters in my campaign to do some of those spells. I really think they're spells that are for the NPCs and for the, those ones you're going to stop, right, from the evil guys doing. And it also definitely sets a tone for the world, right? Um, so that's that's super interesting. I, I do understand the, the, the... And honestly, I like the idea, just like you, of, well, elves are known for being Dexies, so you know, elves get a bonus in decks. But I also think that in certain types of gameplay, like when you get to the, the type of gameplay that people generally do around the fifth edition of the game, they're looking for this kind of balance in the system that is going to be hard to create if if you don't have, you know, a balance, right? So so doing it this way is, is just the simplest way to do it because otherwise what you end up getting is what we've had you know, everybody playing a charisma-based character plays, uh, you know, a half-elf because they get a bonus. Or everybody playing a deck-based character is going to pay an elf. Because in 5e, your stats matter so much that you just... It would just be silly for you to play a dwarf with, like, a, a, a low dex when you could play an elf and with high dex. Like just, it wouldn't make sense. Like, you would just create a character that was not uh, as functional as they need to be in order to succeed in that system. Um, because your level and stuff doesn't matter nearly as much as your stats, especially at the beginning. So, um, yeah, I, that's the only reason why I think it's a good idea. In general, like for world building, though, uh, I agree. I mean, I have no problem with a, with an elf having a set bonus versus a dwarf. Uh, as far as, <laughs> as, far as um, yeah, like having limits for different races and these kind of things, I, again, I think that's fine. I do think that what ends up happening is it will shy people away from playing certain things if you don't have that, though. So, like, if somebody... I'm curious how many people play a leprechaun, you know, if they get this terrible uh, penalty to their strength. Although, perhaps they get some other ability that makes it worthwhile. And that's, I think, where you have to really think about it in your system. Um, as far as defining what races exist in your world before the players come to the table, yeah, I think that's a good idea, too. But you can also do that in Session Zero. If you have an idea... I mean, again, it depends on how much of a world builder you are. I know that, like, uh, well, from what I can tell from, from BJ, like, he built this whole awesome uh, mythic world. Uh, you know, it had all these great ideas of how things work. I, I don't do that. 
sorry players like i usually build the world around what we're doing i have a general idea and i use a lot of the same tropes i, I love a dying earth type thing i like kind of this post-apocalyptic but fantasy but at the same time if somebody came to me and said hey i want to play a snake man and there was no reason for me to say no to that i would not have a problem with them playing a snake man you know i just i mean i wouldn't do it in a sword and sorcery where most people should be human or if i did do it it would you know they, we'd have to have a conversation but so I'm not so set in stone, only these races exist in my world, usually. Um, or at least I like to say I'm not. <laughs> we'll see in practice how that works out. But um, in any case, thanks for your calls, Jason. So looks like we have a little bit of an unboxing here. I believe I know what this is. Uh, it's from a company called Cards and Games, Inc. down in Ohio. Now... Uh, What's interesting here is the box is actually shaped a lot different than I thought it was going to be. It's about, uh, ooh, I must say six inches deep. And we're looking at approximately eight by 12-ish in size shipped with the U.S. Postal Service. So I'm going to use my little green Oppenel knife here. And we'll cut this guy open and see what we got. Now, it's funny, the top is really well sealed. The bottom seems to just have one piece of tape across it, and it's kind of folded. So I'm actually going to open the bottom. <laughs> Might just be easier. Looks like they basically reused a, a, uh, a box, which is good. Nice to recycle. Reuse, I guess, in this case. All right. Yeah. I'm not unfolding the bottom here. Okay, good. They're continuing that uh, reuse process. I can see here because we've got uh, some newspaper. Oh yeah, this is exactly what I thought now. Hmm. Okay, it looks like, ah, I see what they did. They put newspaper both above and below it, so it kind of was floating in the middle, which is kind of cool, and it's exactly what I thought it was. The Yeti Sanction. This is an Avalon Hill Games Company trademark name for the Lords of Creation Adventure. So there was this game system called Lords of Creation, and I don't really remember it much. But when I saw a picture of it, I knew that somehow when I was a kid, I owned that box set. So I went through a little bit of uh, research to find it and uh, to look it up. And it's really interesting. And I bought the box set... Uh, Oh, maybe six months ago. And from what I can tell, although if anybody knows better, um, there were three modules or adventures written for this thing. Now, in Lords of Creation, you basically start off as kind of like a regular person. And then as you kind of level up, for lack of a better word, it's not exactly that, uh, you become more and more of these kind of like, uh, it's not really like an immortal, but you become uh, able to... to uh, create different things, gain superpowers, and eventually when you get to the maximum level, you become a world creator. And I guess the idea of it is that you create uh, worlds, and then basically you're the GM. Um, that's kind of the idea. So, um, like I said, there's three modules. This one here is, I think for the, this is the mid-level one. I don't have the other ones in front of me now. This is the last one I was looking for. It's probably, I don't know if they made less of these or what, but this has been the most expensive one, and I could not find one at any kind of even close to reasonable price that was not uh, kind of beat up. This one, the box has got a little some water damage. It's kind of, I mean, the eBay uh, guy told me this, so it's not a surprise. Um, 
it's like you can see the mold stain, but it doesn't smell like mold, so I think it's okay. And it's kind of smushed, but the contents inside look like they're in good shape, which is really what matters, I guess, to me, since I'm not a true collector, as it would be. Now, this comes with... Oh, okay. There's like a little advertisement inside, like you used to get inside the, the TSR games. Avalon Hill Game Company. Uh, they got the role-playing magazine called Heroes. Uh, that itself talks about the James Bond 007 game, which I picked up recently. Powers and Perils, RuneQuest, and Lords of Creation. Um, and I believe that this Lords of Creation, I could be wrong about this, but I think the actual game was written by Tom Mulvey. So, of course, you know, that's uh, that's my jam. It's a little BX guy. Um, but I don't have it in front of me to remember. So, looking at this, it looks like we've got that little advertisement, and we've got what look like to be like maybe handout sheets or something. Yeah, this is not, uh, I think it's supposed to be one big, oh no, I guess you're supposed to tear them off their handouts, yeah, or, or ready, ready sheets. But whoever had it didn't quite tear them off, so I will not tear them off as well. They're kind of like that glued top area. Uh, one looks like a map, it's probably a frog handout. It's got uh, the Washington, Washington, Washington District of Columbia, so Washington, D.C., um, area, and then you've got different weapons and such. I guess each one of these supplements probably added more weapons and things to the game. So we've got that. Also has information on the uh, the various animals and stuff you might fight. Um, and then we've got what looks to be essentially almost like shaped like a GM screen, but it has um, writing on both sides. So it's not like, you know, a lot of GM screens will have like an image on one side and then uh, information on the other side this actually has uh looks like it's got stuff on all the sides modern equipment list experience table close close combat weapons range combat futuristic equipment list um wait loads of creation game master screen any item on the modern equipment list can be upgraded to futuristic equipment at quite normal cost uh, antique equipment list you got multiple attack tables so this basically has your it looks like most of what you need to run the game, uh, you know, on the at the table. Um, so that's kind of cool. And then we've also got, of course, the module itself, which is a uh, got color, front and back covers. The inside has some spot color. It looks like it's got blue in it. It's 31 pages. Looks like it's got some monsters in the back. Uh, it's got the adventure itself. Oh, this is kind of cool. It's got some weird-looking uh, monsters and space things going on, it looks like. Um, so this looks like a pretty cool adventure. Uh, looks like there's multiple scenarios in here that you play through. And uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Let's see if I can, oh, there's information here about uh, car chases. Yeah, the book itself looks like it has water damage as well. So uh, again, it's not a collector's one. It was one of the cheaper ones I could find, to be honest with it, that looked like it was pretty complete. So I guess I wasn't expecting too much here. Um, yeah, this adventure is, was written by Ian Gustino and Tom Mulvey. Uh, and it requires the use of Lords of Creation and game rules, including the Book of Foes. It cannot be played without a copy of those rules. And the Book of Foes came in the Lords of Creation book, so that's not really a problem. Let's see. The Yeti Sanction is an adventure module designed for four to eight neophyte or apprentice level characters. One way to ensure that the adventure will neither be too hard or too easy for the characters to add up all the personal forces. That's basically like the, the power. At the start of the adventure, the total... Okay, that's cool. So it tells you how to kind of make it balanced. Yeah, this looks pretty neat. 
So I don't know if I'll ever play this system. If anybody remembers the system and is interested in it, maybe if enough people were reached out to me and said, hey, Daniel, run this, I probably would do it. Because uh, I now have the, much my understanding, the only three modules that were ever created for it, as well as the box set um, of the game itself. Yeah, it looks like uh, it looks like the um, this is complete because it says it should come with 32-page adventure, three special player aids, which was there, uh, and a three-fold game master screen. So that's pretty cool. So they threw the game master screen in here. Um, yeah, so it looks like we're good to go. All right, Operation Snowman, the Yeti sanction. So I guess that's it for this unboxing. Yeah, that should be enough for now. Um, <laughs> Thanks to all my callers, and if you guys want to call in, of course, uh, you can or should. Uh, I feel like with the callers, it makes the show much more interesting. One of the great things about Anchor, so go ahead and uh, use the Anchor app or what have you to call in, and uh, we'll put you on the air. I can't make you famous like Jason does because I'm only a tiny little podcast, but, you know, I'll give you your 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 moment to shine on the Bandits Keep podcast. See you next time, guys.